Welcome to the Fair Talks podcast, where we educate everyday people for extraordinary change. I'm your host, Alicia Chan, Executive Director of Fairtrade LA, a community of business members, nonprofits, and fair trade enthusiasts driving proactive, sustainable solutions for a fairer world. I'm also a social entrepreneur with a passion for ending poverty and creating dignified jobs. Together, we'll explore how fair trade changes lives and communities and what we can do to address some of the world's biggest problems right in our own homes. Let's dive in. Fair Talks is brought to you by Fair Trade USA, the organization that brings you the Fair Trade certified label. Fairtrade USA is committed to building an innovative model of responsible business, conscious consumerism, and shared value to eliminate poverty and enable sustainable development for farmers, workers, their families, and communities around the world. We have been experiencing major increase in the homeless population here in America, and may I say it's a homeless crisis, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic. As of 2022, there are over 550,000 people experiencing homelessness in the United States. The state of California is in the top five states with the most homelessness, coming in fifth behind D.C., New York, Hawaii, and Oregon. And we witnessed the growth of the homeless population right here in Los Angeles. For those of you who don't know, we have a community in downtown L.A. called Skid Row. And pre-pandemic, It was a 50-city block radius, around 0.4 square miles. In 2020, the L.A. Homeless Service Authority estimated that over 13,330 women experienced homelessness here in the city of Los Angeles. That's a 25% increase over the previous year. The majority of these women, 55%, are unsheltered. Since 2015, the number of women experiencing homelessness in L.A. increased by 64% outpacing the increase among men. It is very heart-wrenching when you hear these numbers and see it firsthand. But today, I get to talk with a very special organization that is literally the light in this dark place called Skid Row. They are bringing so much hope to women, but also tangible solutions to end homelessness. And it is the Downtown Women's Center. They're the only organization in L.A. exclusively serving and empowering women experiencing homelessness. I learned about DWC around 2018 and was given the tour of the facility in Skid Row, and I was so impressed. The cleanliness, the library, the kitchen, and the dining facility where the most loving volunteers served food to the most vulnerable. It was just such a hopeful place. And I hope we can duplicate this model in other cities as well. We also get to learn about their soldier enterprise today, made by DWC, where they're ending homelessness for women through job training and employment in a supportive learning environment. Make sure you listen till the end for an exclusive discount code to shop at madebydwc.com. To share with us, we have Joe Alta-Peter, Director of Social Enterprise, who provides leadership and growth strategies to the Downtown Women's Center's innovative social enterprise made by DWC. In its 10th year, Joe has led Made by DWC in providing more than 1,150 women with more than 320,000 hours of job training and workshops. His leadership and vision create a safe and supportive work environment to enhance women's job readiness skills, leading to personal economic stability through employment. 
He provides opportunities for an inclusive community of engaged folks committed to addressing the root cause of homelessness for women in Los Angeles. He served as a member of the Los Angeles Workforce Development Board's Task Force on Underrepresented Populations. In this role, he shared his insight and knowledge of program services developed specifically for chronically homeless and unemployed women with ongoing barriers to employment. Sounds like he has great insight to share with us today. And he brings a special guest with him. So let's dive in and learn more. Welcome, Joe. We're so excited to have you. You're actually our first episode of season two, and I'm so excited that we get to share about something that's happening locally in LA. So welcome. Thank you. So super excited to be here. Season two. Yeah. (laughs) And you also brought a special guest with us. So would you like to introduce Alex? Yeah, I would be honored to introduce Alex. I don't want to read her bio because she's a pretty extraordinary person. And I want to make sure that you all get to know her as well as I know her. So Alex Pineda is currently our production associate and trainer. She was born here in California, in Santa Clara, California, but raised in Texarkana, Texas. She joined the service at the age of 18, she enlisted in a six-year career as a combat medic in the U.S. Air Force. Pretty amazing. During this time, she was able to meet people from all over the world, which gave her a broader perspective of herself and of others, which I get to see every day. After leaving the military, Alex started a long-running career in bartending and hospitality. She concurrently raised her three children, Jordan, Skylar, and Mark. In 2019, Alex moved to Los Angeles to explore opportunities to further her career in bartending and hospitality. Shortly after that, she found herself at the Downtown Women's Center and slowly moved into a new career. She is currently leading our production of the Made by DWC Home and Gift Collection and is the lead trainer in our transitional jobs program. Alice has found that her years in the Air Force bartending, and raising three children has prepared her for a dream job of supporting women in achieving their dreams. She is passionate about making a difference for women on Skid Row by providing them with skills to change their lives. Alex strives each and every day to make a difference in someone's life. And I actually get to see that each and every day, Alex striving to make a difference. So welcome, Alex. That is incredible. You do have an amazing backgrounds. I can't wait to learn more. Yeah. It's, it's always, I love seeing people use either their specific strengths and skills and their background, their experiences for good. I think that is when you can partner those two together. It is so powerful. And of course you guys are doing amazing work there in downtown LA. I am very excited about the social enterprise aspect because everyone on this podcast knows I'm super passionate about job creation. But before we get to that, Joe, can you tell us a little bit more about the Downtown Women's Center for those listeners who may not know a little bit about the history? Because it is so cool. And if I remember correctly from my tour, this building you guys are in was donated by the city for like one cent. Yeah, I think it was a dollar. The city (laughs) donated the building, sold us the building for a dollar. That was in 2009. Mm -hmm. 
And the renovations of that building cost $28 million, which we were able to do a capital campaign of $35 million to, to do the renovations for the, our now what we consider our main, our main site, our main building at our main campus. But we started in 1978. There is a woman uh, or two women that I think everyone needs to know. Jill Halverson was a caseworker here on Skid Row in the 70s. And she recognized that there were zero services for women here in Skid Row. Mm-hmm. She befriended a woman named Rosa. And through that f- friendship, they, I always say they came up with this audacious idea to create a drop-in center for women. And they did. They opened mm-hmm. the first drop-in center for women in Los Angeles. It was really a respite from the street. It was a single-story storefront kind of an old dilapidated storefront, but it's what they could afford. It's what they could manage. And through the years, it grew from, you know, providing a midday meal and coffee in the morning to move to then counseling services and different basic needs to developing our first permanent supportive housing. Before it was called permanent supportive housing, we built 48 units next door to the original day center. And then in 86, renovated the original day center to a two-story building. It actually was damaged in the Whittier earthquake back in 86. So Mm -hmm. in 87, we opened up the, the, reopened the day center on Los Angeles street next door to our 48 units of permanent supportive housing. In 2009, we had the opportunity to acquire this building for a dollar plus 28 million from the city of Mm -hmm. Los Angeles to create 71 new units of permanent supportive housing for women here on Skid Row. And we were able to increase our day center. We call our day center services, but all of our full wraparound services, we were able to increase by over 100%. Our day center grew from 3,000 square feet to around 24,000 square feet. We currently have a a learning center, an art room, a rooftop garden. We have Mm. a, the first women's women only clinic on Skid Row is in our San Pedro street building. We partnered with JWCH, a local LA County clinic. They run about 18 different clinics here in LA County amazing service provider department partner with. And then at the time when we moved into our new building, that $1 building, what we um, had, we developed a social enterprise. We looked for an opportunity within our new space to create a space that would engage the general community, the general Mm -hmm. population of the community. So a type, we looked at different opportunities for different types of businesses. Our CEO at the time, kind of came upon this idea of social enterprise. It was really new at the time in the United mm-hmm. States, um, not so new in Europe, but um, so she, she, she studied a lot around social enterprise and we opened our cafe and gift boutique at San Pedro Street, oh, which was trade. the beginning of our social enterprise. Fair Trail, actually did had our one of our retreats there. <laughs> yeah, I remember I that was a Sunday because we're not mm-hmm. open on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And we opened the doors for a Sunday to have, I think you might've had like 16 or 18 people at the retreat. And it, yeah. I, I think it went really well Yeah, on our side. Was, we loved. The space was perfect for us. Yeah. 
No, I took yeah. a tour of the space and I was so impressed. If anyone of our listeners is in LA, you guys should go and check it out. I mean, so impressive, the cleanliness. And also I remember being impressed by the library, the art, the art rooms. It's so inspiring. It's such an inspiring space. So Alex, how did you find the Downtown Women's Center and what has this place meant for you? Well, um, like Joe recently said before, I moved to Los Angeles in 2019, a couple of months before the pandemic hit everywhere. Wow. So I actually found Downtown Women's Center during the pandemic. Wow. Like I said, I just recently moved here to pursue my career as a bartender. And due to the pandemic, you know, I wasn't able to work anywhere. Like mm-hmm. everything was closed. So I found myself in a bad situation really fast, not being mm-hmm. able to find any work or pretty much at this point, I'm, I'm worried about where I'm going to stay. So mm-hmm. I enrolled in a program called Project Room Key, who then, while I was in that program, they introduced me to the WorkSource Center, who works with the Downtown Women's Center. And mm-hmm. once I made it to the WorkSource Center, they were like, well, have you, we have this program called LA Rise. Do you want to you know, you've never worked any other job but bartending and you can't do that right now. So let's try a new trade for you. We can teach mm-hmm. you a new trade. So I was like, I'm all for whatever you guys give me. So I enrolled in that program and they just told me, you know, if you do well, they will find you permanent job placement. Never thought that I would actually work for the organization. That happened yeah. all while I was in the program. I just fell in love with it while I was doing the program. Like, Wow. Who knew that candle making was so close to bartending because it's a lot of mixing and pouring. <laughs> yes. So it was just like I fell right into it. It was it was like I mm-hmm. didn't miss a beat from my mm-hmm. bartending life than to, to making candles. I was just making a different product instead of drinks. Yeah. I was making candles. And, you know, like I said, the Downtown Women's Center is everything to me. It, it saved me when I was in mm-hmm. a dark place didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to go. And every day I showed up for work, I just felt like I belonged here. It just Mm. seemed, you know, the hardest task for me was finding a job. And now that I had this job, who knew I would find a job that I loved? You know, I was just trying to pay the bills or just trying to get by. And I ended up falling in love with the place and being able to help more women and I needed a new trade more than anything. And they provided Mm -hmm. me that while I was getting paid for learning a new trade. So, you know, it was a win-win situation for me. So like it offered me so much more than I could have ever thought that I could get from them. Mm -hmm. And they gave me a chance to prove myself and also provided me a stable income along with new work experiences. So it it was, it's my salvation. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. I was just going to say like, the pandemic obviously affected the homelessness skid row. I mean, in a magnitude yes. beyond my comprehension, but just so, so to hear that this testimony of how the downtown women's center came through for you during the pandemic, that's yes. just incredible. <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait to hear more about your role, but before we get there, Joe, can you tell us more about the birth of the made by DWC, basically the social enterprise of Downtown Women's Center. Yeah. And how it's helping create sustainable long-term solutions to alleviate poverty for all these women and all about the products. Yeah. Happy to. Yeah. I talked a little bit about how we came about Mm -hmm. creating a a revenue generating business, social enterprise for the Downtown Women's Center through different research that our 
CEO at the time did. But really our, our, you know, our DWC's mission is to end homelessness for women in greater Los Angeles through housing, mm-hmm. wellness, employment, and advocacy. In our DNA was understanding how creativity or art impacts people's health, impacts mm-hmm. people's lives. So part of our social enterprise is our home and gift product, our home and gift collection. And that is really a craft. That's an art. That's a a form in which you're making something. So that was really important to us. Mm -hmm. And then we also, we did some research with some UCLA students back in 2005 to find out what downtown LA was looking for. And one of the things was cafe and the other thing was a thrift store. So mm-hmm. we open, in addition to our home and gift products, we have our cafe and gift boutique at San Pedro Street. And then we have our resale boutique at our original site at Los Angeles Street. So we're in our 11th year of our social enterprise. Mm-hmm. Over the 10 years, we've, we were able to provide job training and workshops for over 1,150 women over, I want to say over 300,000 hours of training with women, leading them to, for some of them, it was leading them to jobs. For others, it was leading them to housing, to mental health services. It was leading them to what their goal was. We recently kind of narrowed in on what the program was to include, and it was really about job training. So Mm -hmm. we currently have every year 44 women that go through our transitional jobs program. And that program is a paid part-time job where they're gaining hands-on training, um, where they're learning skills, they're back in the workforce that they might've been Mm -hmm. out of for long periods of time. In addition to the 44 paid job, transitional jobs, we have 10 permanent jobs within the social enterprise that we've created through graduates Mm -hmm. of the program, like Alex is one of them Mm -hmm. that came through the program. Annually, we do about over 1,200,000 job training hours. We do over 600 job counseling sessions every year. I think a big piece of what we do is, I think, really important is we put over $505,000 in wages invested back into the local community. So Mm -hmm. through the job training that we do, through the women that the 10 women that we employ, $505,000 of wages are reinvested Mm -hmm. back into the local community. So I think that's a big impact for everyone. And in addition to the women that we're impacting. And then we also look at it at moving a hundred women into external job placements throughout the local Mm -hmm. community. So working with them in job interviews, applying for jobs, getting to that job interview, uh, attaining the job and then retaining the job once they're in the job. So it's a, we, we work with the women as long as they want us or need us to work mm. with them. Yeah, it's crazy. Those are such important skills, but I think I'm sure our listeners feel the same way. Like we don't really know what training looks like, you know, so I'm excited that Alex is here because she's a graduate of this program. So Alex, take us into that journey of the program. What are some of the things, you know, you've learned? What are some of the ways you've gained new skills through this? Well, um, like the social enterprise has made such a huge impact on my life because I'm working in a community that I have ne- had never experienced before. Mm-hmm. So like Joe said, my bartending experience, my medic experience working with sick people, all of that 
I feel like all those things in my life prepared me for this job because of the type of community I'm working in. And I love working in this community because when I first came to LA, these were the only people that were nice to me. Like when I mm-hmm. needed help or I needed help finding resources, nobody would even stop to take time to talk to me until Mm -hmm. I hit Skid Row. When I hit Skid Mm -hmm. Row, they just embraced me like I had been here my whole life. They, you know, Mm -hmm. they knew I wasn't from here. And instead of taking advantage of me, like some people feel like they would have, they didn't do that. They embraced me and they really helped me get through it. I mean, I didn't have a Mm -hmm. clue on how to make a candle when I started this program. (laughs) So like I'm able to learn a new trade and then not only do I learn one, I'm able to give back to the community that was so good to me because now I'm able to train other women that were just Mm -hmm. like me that just needed a chance and just needed someone to help them. You know, we not only help them with job training, we're here for emotional support, um, getting them to the right resources, whether it's just getting clothes for an interview or anything Mm -hmm. I come across over my couple of years that I've been here, I Mm -hmm. share it with them. Like, anything that'll help them get to the next stepping stone of training. But yeah, like when I came in, everybody was so supportive to me, so uplifting, which in turn made me want to be a better person because everybody was so positive. Like even if I was having a bad day, when I would walk into here, my trainer, she would be dancing around the studio (laughs) and I just couldn't help but to put myself in a better mood because Mm -hmm. there was no negativity that I saw. There was no space to be negative because everybody was just so oh you're doing great Mm -hmm. like even if I didn't feel like I was doing great they made me feel like I was doing great and they always gave me that confirmation that I was doing a good job and I try to do that with my trainees Mm -hmm. as well you know don't always bring negativity or always show them what they're doing wrong show them when they're doing it right as well you know, mm-hmm. we're here to retreat because that's our job, but it shouldn't just be all critical. It should be uplifting. Just like I just trained the way I was trained yeah. and I had some of the best trainers. <laughs> it shout sounds like Cindy. Yes, yeah, that was Cindy. Cindy. <laughs> Cindy was the you knew who I was dance. talking about, Joe, didn't you? danced around the room. Yeah, she was so uplifting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say, this sounds Positive more way. fun than uh, college. <laughs> well, we try to have fun. Yeah. You know, we, we celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. Mm-hmm. We do all of that. You know, when they graduate, we have a party for them just to show that they're, because they help us. They, they don't realize it, but they help us too. You know, we're not able mm-hmm. to push out these large candle orders without Mm -hmm. them you know they help us as well and so we're getting something from each other so it's a win-win situation yeah it really sounds like this program it's beyond just skills it's really emotional mental support and it's it's something we take for granted but something that a lot of people don't have and it is so important to create that community and foster that community where you could trust each other so yeah, now, Alex, you are one of the leaders uh, leading yes. the production team, which is so cool, making these beautiful candles and soaps. And you're the lead trainer in the transitional jobs program. Yes. So tell us more about what that role looks like. Well, like you said, I am the lead trainer in the production studio. So 
basically I make candles, soaps, and bath salts all day, mm -hmm. as well as we do ship out the orders as well. So you're getting a logistics training as well. Mm -hmm. So you're doing shipping and receiving, but I also train the women that are enrolled in our program on how to make the candles, bath salts, and soaps. So what we do pretty much every day is we, we clock in, we make the soaps. I have a schedule for us, what we have to do for the day. Mm -hmm. And we make those soaps, bath salts. And I just enjoy watching them go from not knowing how to do any of this and they're nervous to being full-fledged candle makers, you know, yeah. to where they're able to take what they learn from him and go into work into any warehouse. Cause we're kind of like a warehouse setting. So they were working with machines. Mm -hmm. um, we do everything by hand, mainly the machine just melts the wax for us. We do everything else by hand, but they can go to work almost any production job when they leave here because mm -hmm. we are full on production and people think, cause we're in a small space that we don't make a lot, but we make a lot here. We mm -hmm. do quite a bit of revenue here and we, you know, we, do Jessica Abel's Honest Company. We do candles mm -hmm. for her as well. Mm -hmm. We do 10,000 Villages. We mm -hmm. do Gifts for Good. And then on top of that, we do the other orders that come in on the website as well. So they're able mm -hmm. to get sales because yeah. we do pop-up shops as well. We go all over LA and do pop-up shops. Mm -hmm. So they're able to get sales experience. They're able to get production experience. A little bit of logistics is not as much hands-on logistics as um, we're working towards getting more of that, but right now they're just mainly doing production, but that's what our work day pretty much looks like. Over the years, I've learned to support them, not just in the workspace, but like I said, with clothing giveaways, if they need to go to the doctor, like Joe said, we have a clinic on San Pedro. They're able to go get any clinical needs they need and emotional support. We're always here, even if it's just they need to talk my ear off and vent yeah. out. I'm all for that and to try to help them guide them through it. So it, I enjoy it. It sounds <laughs> like a great work environment. <laughs> so we try yeah. to help as many. And like Joe said, we do the retention services. So after they get a job, after they graduate, once they get a job, we give them retention services. So as long as they keep the job, they get benefits from that as well so I was one of those people so when I got my first check I think I got $75 and then my 30-day check and then I think it was 90 days and then six months wow. so you're getting incentives the whole time as long yeah. as you retain the job yeah so that's an incentive as well it's a very holistic program I'm yes. sure there's a lot of strategies behind it I <laughs> I absolutely love it this is how to make it sustainable so what are some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome either as a student in the program or now as a trainer in the program? I'm sure your work is not easy. The biggest challenge that I see is not working with the trainees. It's their home issue. It's more mm -hmm. stability for them. Yeah. You know, like being homeless, they, anything can change at a drop of a hat, like you just never know, being able to provide a stable environment for them so they can focus on work. Because mm -hmm. it's hard to focus on work if you don't know where you're going to sleep at or where your next meal is going to come from. You know, that's why we always provide lunch when they work with us. We provide mm -hmm. them lunch as well. But that's the biggest challenge I've ever had to encounter. You know, I had a girl that was you know she lost her housing while she was with me so that was was really hard for her to focus on work while she was trying to figure out where she was going to sleep at at night so that was the main 
issue that I've seen is just like making sure that their home situation yeah. is stable so that their work situation can be stable because yeah. I don't expect them to be solely focused on the job when they're having so much going on at home but that's the only really challenge that I see because we help them if any other thing that they need help with, we help with childcare, we help with transportation, mm -hmm. you know, and we help with housing too. But like I would tell them, we can't help you if we don't know what's going on. So that's mm -hmm. the main thing that I have come across since I've been doing this is, you know, making sure that they have a stable environment for them to be a stable worker. Yeah. I like how you're so sweet. You're like, that's, that's the only issue, but that's, oh, yeah. that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. That is that's a huge. huge issue. That is a huge issue. Yeah. But other than that, when they get here, they're happy to be working. They're happy to be, you know, in the work field. So they don't, we really don't have any work challenges. It's yeah. more of a situation challenge more than, you know, because of where they're, the environment they're in and where they're coming from is just trying yeah. to get them to be trusting of us and trusting of the process. That's the main thing. Mm. Trust the process because mm. it can't be fixed overnight. And so it's just getting them to that point to know that we're here for them. Yeah. Mm. Which is exactly why downtown women's center is, mm. you know, in Skid Row, that's exactly the, the problem there, yes. you know, to where they're trying to come in. Sorry to interrupt, but we got to tell you this. Did you know that Fairtrade LA led the campaign that officially designated Los Angeles the largest fair trade city in North America and the fourth largest in the world? We are a nonprofit that exists because of the support from people like you. Become a Fairtrade LA monthly donor to ensure this educational content reaches as many people as possible. Go to fairtradela/donate to pledge your support. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Let's get back to the episode. So Joe, I want to ask you the same question. So, I mean, so many people, including myself, look at the homeless situation in LA and we get discouraged. We don't know how to solve it. It just seems so big. Um, so, but I know there's got to be some long-term solutions that you guys are working towards, like, you know, job creation. So what are some of the biggest challenges you've encountered, maybe even around COVID, like the past few years? And what would you say are some of the long-term solutions to the homeless crisis? Yeah, I mean, COVID definitely had a huge impact, especially on women and <clears throat> women in employment and housing. You know, women are the lowest paid of, of our population. And when you look at Black women or Latina women, or they're even lower paid than white women. So how do, you know, COVID had a huge impact on, on the community that we serve. There were, we were seeing huge numbers, I think 26% increase of homelessness in 2020, we saw in, in LA County over almost 14,000 homeless women in, in Los Angeles City that we work with. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think of homelessness, you really have to understand it is, especially homelessness for women is a, is a, is a, a result of racism, gender-based gender violence, mm -hmm. income gaps due to lower income and less accumulated wealth, 37% of women, homeless women are African-American as opposed to a, a population of being only 7.9%. So disproportionately mm. affected women of color, especially black women across the, the, the United States. And then we look at, you know, inter, intimate partner violence or domestic violence, gender-based violence, 
the number of women, 53% of unhoused women have experienced domestic violence. The percentage of women unhoused that have experienced domestic violence is about 47%. Housed or sheltered women are 22%. So there's a huge gap of, you know, a reason why those numbers are there is this is what happens. We have 11% of women experiencing homelessness have fled domestic violence. Mm. And then we talk about gender, gender identity and LGBTQ folks and what those numbers are. All of this, I, you know, our mission, again, I think I said this, you know, DWC envisions Los Angeles where every woman's housed and on the path to personal stability. Our mission is to end homelessness through housing, wellness, employment, and advocacy. I think the advocacy piece is the big piece. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about us as a community at large, how can we address the issue of homelessness, which seems overwhelming? I think the one of the reasons why it's so overwhelming is because this misunderstanding of homelessness and yes. what the what the issue is. Mm-hmm. You know, housing ends homelessness. It's obvious. You don't have a home, get a home. So mm-hmm. lack of housing in Los Angeles, lack mm-hmm. of folks wanting housing in their community. So mm-hmm. understanding that, like you know, that's where the advocacy comes in, where we mm-hmm. talk to how permanent supportive housing developments actually improve neighborhoods and not decrease property values. So there's a mis- misunderstanding of what that looks like. So there are ways to do this in the state, in the city of LA, in the county of LA, have been working at this for a long time and it seems like it's not happen- not helping, but we have you know over 400 years of racism in, in the world, right? And the United States was, was built on racism. So if we look at that, where we're at today, this is, it's a, it's a huge piece. But I think that empathy piece, that understanding that we have solutions that we know that work. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to look for new solutions. We know permanent supportive housing works. Mm-hmm. We know moving someone indoors, even if they're, you know, where, regardless of where they're at on their path to, you know, physical health, mental health, you know, emotional stability, housing, mm-hmm help support that. So I am optimistic. I think DWC always comes from a perspective of optimism where we can address racism. We can address gender biases. We can address issues around domestic violence. We can address issues around, you know, nimbyism, not in my backyard kind of communities and understanding and talking to folks and advocating and getting uh, more people involved in advocating. I think that's a big piece. Second to the dollar surhousing, I think (laughs) is, you know, the advocacy towards building the housing where we need the housing to be built. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you addressed the permanent housing because that goes back to what Alex was saying. If their home situation is unstable, then it affects their work. So it's like before you could even give them a job, you got to make sure their housing and their home is stable so that they can keep a job. So that is so important. I, I, I'm learning a lot <laughs> as, as we're doing this. And we recognize, you know, that we need to recognize too that housing is a prescription for health, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have issues, if you are housed, you are less likely to have, have you know, your, your health issues to to mm. y- y- it's much easier to address health issues if you can have if you're in housing 
So housing is a prescription for health. Housing is a prescription for folks living longer. We talked about Rosa, one of our founders, who Jill met, and she, you know, she was with us the entire time from her and Rosa starting the Downtown Women's Center, and Mm -hmm. she lived to 85. She -hmm. would not have lived to 85 if she would not have met Rosa, if she would Mm -hmm. not have met Jill and the two of them, you know, created this space we call the Downtown Women's Center. So, so many lives have been saved because of Mm -hmm. housing. So, yeah, I think I read yeah. somewhere women live on the street. They don't live past 55 if they live mm-hmm. on the street. Like they're only living to be about in their 50s. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I read that on one of our needs assessments that we have here. But mm-hmm. yeah, they just don't live long living out there. Like yeah. it's just not a place for them. Mm-hmm. And housing mm-hmm. is just a basic need. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a basic need like food. You literally need <laughs> housing. So. Yes. Yeah. So I really hope that other big, other big city, you know, I understand after the pandemic, especially other big cities are struggling with the homelessness situation too. So I really hope that other cities can learn from, you know, what you guys are doing as well. So I just want to, you guys are doing so much, so, so much incredible work. So I just want to rename the things that the different avenues where you guys are creating jobs in LA for the women. And especially if our listeners are in LA, I want to encourage you guys to go support. So there's, you guys make candles and and home goods through the made by DWC. And actually besides 10,000 villages, I've seen them in other local cafes and bookstores and I get so excited. So, (laughs) (laughs) so if you guys are wanting to add products, you know, make sure to consider made by DWC and then you guys have your cafe. Yes. Where you could also do the gifts. You could also buy gifts. And I heard you guys did a renovation there. Well, we kind of just remodeled, not renovation, really. We just kind of moved stuff around and and Mm. gave it a fresher new look, put some pictures up. and Nice. (laughs) Is it officially open? Yes. It is open. We're not dining. We're not dining in yet, but definitely to come in and pick up. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the cafe is officially open and the resale boutique is open. And the boutique as well. So yeah. Tell us more about the boutique. So it's, is it basically like a thrift store, right? Well, we call it, it is a thrift store. We call it a a boutique because it's more of a curated thrift store. So Mm. the, the women that are employed in our job training program and permanently within the social enterprise work together to of curate what the product is that we use it's all donated to us mm. by individuals or businesses some very retailers, nice clothing too. designers <laughs> mm. yeah so they sort through and figure out the price levels for each of the product mm. everything from you know your everyday brands to your high-end vintage high-end designer brands and vintage everything from you know earrings to shoes and everything mm. women's apparel and then we also have a small men's section Very um, small. so <laughs> take a peek at the men's section too I love it I get some I get a lot of my stuff from the men's section but really it's a great place to shop it's a great place to donate clothing all of it is donated so if folks are cleaning out their closet both men and women you can donate it to the downtown women's center or made by DWC um, and it might end up in our boutique, or it might end up, you know, being that outfit that a woman wears to a job interview, you know? So a lot of opportunities 
through the, the resale boutique as well. Yeah, I remember when the pandemic hit, I think you guys were doing Instagram stories or Instagram <laughs> lives on selling the outfits. It was so fun. Um, yeah. So and I, now we've launched the e-commerce, oh. our, our resale boutique, we're selling some of our product online. Oh, so, see, that's great for people yeah. to know and support, yeah. even if you're not in L.A. But yeah. I also want to emphasize, so if you're in L.A., and you want to donate clothes, specifically workwear. So the clothes that women can use to go like interview, go, go, you know, yes. wear for interviews. Mm-hmm. So where can they drop those off? So those who'd go to our, our website at downtown women's center, and there's a tab for donating or getting involved and you can click the donate button. And what we're doing now because of COVID we're scheduled, people are scheduling their drop-offs mm-hmm. because our staff are, doing multiple things, but also, yeah. so aren't always available like pre COVID where people would just pull up and drop off. So now just go online, you can find it easily downtownwomencenter.org and get involved and donate clothing. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And schedule a drop off. That is so cool. So if you guys are clearing out your closets and there's workwear, you know, clothes that you could wear to work, make sure to drop them off there. I love that. Yes. So this question is for both of you. I want to ask, what is the ideal future you see for Skid Row for downtown LA? And are you hopeful that this can happen? And what can Angelinos do to help and not hurt the situation? My ideal future is, is the no tents. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not from uh, Los Angeles. I had never seen a situation like Skid Row to I saw Skid Row for the first time. It's just, it's just not an ideal place for women, men, anybody. I feel like permanent supportive housing can help this situation. And, you know, I am hopeful that can happen because I see permanent supportive housing places being built in my neighborhood. They're building two in my neighborhood right now. I see them, you know, I know we're going to break ground on a couple of places in the upcoming years. Like Mm -hmm. as long as, and there's so many abandoned buildings and Mm -hmm. abandoned hospitals that can Mm -hmm. turn into permanent supportive housing. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel my ideal and not only that, having mental health services, whether they're walking the streets, like how they walk the streets to get people vaccinated and -hmm. how they walk the streets to do outreach, to make them aware. I think they should do that with mental health as well, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues out on the street. Or, or, or mental health crisis situations and yeah. they just don't know instead of the police showing up and it becoming a all crazier mm-hmm. situation they should have mental health people walking around seeing how they got to this point because that's mm-hmm. what I was always intrigued by when I would meet people out there how did we get here like mm-hmm. what can we do to help you to prevent from getting back to this place like what what happened to that got you here and you just never know what somebody goes you never you hear some of the craziest stories out there Mm -hmm. and how well educated a lot of these people are with degrees and Mm -hmm. they were you know teachers or nurses like I'm always Mm -hmm. you know intrigued to know how this situation happened because I had never experienced anything like it. Mm. So my ideal skid row would be the no tent situation. Like it would just, 
I feel it would help. It will benefit everyone. It will benefit the city because they don't have to worry about people living in tents. It will benefit the people because they're not living in tents. It's just mm-hmm. a win-win situation trying to get people put in permanent supportive housing and using people that have lived in that situation to do that, mm-hmm. to help with that because the people on the street trust them more mm-hmm. than they would a stranger that just comes in and be like, oh, we're going to get you housed. And they yeah. had never seen this person utilizing the people that are trying to come out of that situation with lived experience, I feel would help the situation as well. I was just going to say to have down to have downtown women's center have a hand on all of this. Cause if all the housing could look like, you know, the housing in downtown women's center, I mean, that would be incredible. Yes. The holistic support. That's what's needed. Yes. Your turn, Joe. (laughs) My turn, I guess. Yeah, I mean, ideally for Skid Row, I think, you know, Skid Row is an existing community. It's a community of people mm-hmm. who have relationships. They mm-hmm. have they. this is their home. This is their neighborhood. This is their community. I think for me, ideally, that we as a community, as a larger LA would not lose sight of that. And as we look to, mm-hmm. you know, develop Skid Row with housing or whatever, you know, whatever we're including in Skid Row, that we don't lose sight of that it's already has, you know, it's, it's residents, as residents are here, you know, and I think that kind of speaks a little bit to gentrification too, like understanding that if we're going to develop the city, let's develop inclusively and think of Skid Row as a viable option for folks to, for the folks that are living here mm. already to succeed and, mm and have the opportunities that others get. I think, you know, ideally I would, I think in order to be successful in ending homelessness and kind of the ideal future for for me, for greater Los Angeles or even across the country is kind of a hope for empathy, that we all have empathy as we work to create communities that are inclusive, inclusive communities like, we need to come from a place of empathy and understanding the needs of others. Mm-hmm. We might not have to have done that needed things, but others do and understanding that they're, we all are a little different. So, and then the other piece is listening to the community, the leaders in the community, the okay. folks here that know how to do it, do the mm-hmm. work. We don't have to develop anything new. The processes are already in place. Yeah. We already know how to do it. So let's do it and let's, yeah. let's figure out where every community across LA County, there's, you know, 88 cities in LA County, there are 88 cities that are responsible for ending homelessness. So Mm. within their own space, not building it elsewhere, but building it in, building these inclusive communities. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. And I absolutely see Downtown Women's Center as one of the experts, one of the people who know the solutions and the strategies. And if only we could see downtown women's center have even greater reach you know across la that would be great that would be amazing (laughs) that's that's my ideal future (laughs) so we like to you know end every episode with a fun question and so i'm going to ask you guys this is a tough one what is your favorite fair trade product 
My favorite made product by far is going to be the Santa Cruz mm. olive base soap. It's mm. it just makes you feel like mm. you're at the beach when you're bathing with it and you have your candle going with your bath salt. Like we have a whole little collection of that mm. scent. And so it just makes me feel like I'm at Santa Monica when I'm <laughs> bathing yeah. with it. So and it's moisturizing as well. So it helps mm. the situation. <laughs> I love that. Alex? I didn't know you were going to say soap. I didn't know you were going <laughs> to say soap. That was, we have, I love our soap. We have, you can buy a four pack bundle, mm-hmm. a four piece bundle to get all of this, the different soaps. But mm. what I'd love to pair, what I like to pair it with is something from 10,000 Villages, Pasadena. They have this hemp washcloth. Mm-hmm. So it's oh, a little yeah. bit rough. So it exfoliates yeah. the skin. Mm. I think those two yes. paired together are the perfect Perfect gift, perfect gift for yourself or anyone else. Yeah. But yeah. Those are, those definitely would be my, my, yes. my two. Yes. Products. Yeah. Well, here's a great plug for 10,000 villages in Pasadena. <laughs> They're always stocked with um, the products from made. So, and our candles, we just yes. made candles for them. Um, they got shipped out today, actually. So perfect for the holidays. Yeah. So if you want one of our candles that our ladies made, you can buy those at 10,000 villages too. <laughs> yeah. I love that collaboration. So special. So, all right, the final question. Um, We always want our listeners after every episode to walk away with something they can do to make a difference. So we ask our guests this question, what is one simple action step they can do now that can help be a solution to this homeless crisis in LA? I mean, my suggestion is because I used to do a lot of outreach where where I'm from, meeting with your neighborhood organizer or uh, your assemblyman or your person and become an advocate for the homeless. You know, they have so many people, you know, since I've been doing advocacy, there's so many people that just are not aware of what is going on, you know, in their, in the city they live in. You know, I've never been one of those people. I always want to know what's going on. What's, why is this over here? Why is that over there? And they just don't know, you know, they only know about what they see on the news or what somebody told Mm -hmm. them. So the way I feel like people can help is just be an advocate, speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, like, if you want something changed in your neighborhood or in your situation, then you have to get out there and do it. Organize events, get petitions together, put pressure on your, your leaders, your Congress, your mayor, if you want things changed, because not every homeless person can advocate for that. Or they, you know, they're not in the place to go to an event or to go, you know, get petitions together and, you know, if, if that's what you're wanting, or if, if you want to help, that's one way that we can help is by organizing and coming together and trying to fix it. Cause it, it only ends with one person at a time. It's not mm-hmm. something that can be fixed overnight and you can't put a bandaid on a bullet wound. Like you have to do the work. You have to get out there, organize, do outreach, do advocacy. It just takes and mm-hmm. have patience. You have to have patience because it's mm-hmm. going to take time. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah. Alex, you and I are on the same page today. I was going to say advocacy, <laughs> yeah. but since you took that and you said it so eloquently, I would say donate, shop, and volunteer. Mm-hmm. 
So donate to the Downtown Women's Center, shop at Made by DWC, and volunteer with us. Mm. Those three things. Because volunteer will make you have an eye-opener as well. Like, Mm. we have so many volunteers that just don't, they don't realize what they're going to take on when they come to us. And they're like, I had no idea it was Mm. like this. You know, like, I have a, a, a really good friend that works in the kitchen, and they have a lot of volunteers that come to work in the kitchen. And they just didn't know, like they, oh, I didn't know it was this bad, or I didn't know it was that you guys did all of this. I didn't know you provided all of this, you know. And that's one way of knowing is just come yeah. down here and see for yourself yeah. what we're doing on an everyday basis. Yeah, you guys do so much. Yeah, I was gonna say if you guys want to learn more, the best way is to volunteer mm-hmm. um, and be hands-on. And then and you, you feel guys- good. You you got to, yeah. you know, because they're so thankful, you know, when you yeah. hand them that meal or that snack bag or that bag of mm-hmm. clothes, they're so appreciative of it. You know, they're you made their their whole day just by giving them a, a clean change of clothes or letting them take a shower or, mm-hmm. you know, giving them a job opportunity. You just they're they're really thankful for it. Mm. <laughs> Uh, I wish we can um, sit here and talk for hours because I feel like there's just so much we could dive into and so many stories, but I'm thankful for the time that we got to spend together. I think this is such important work and I'm so glad we get to share a little bit of it. And I just hope that people can, will dive in more and, and support. We need, we need the support here. So yeah, thank come you on so down. much. <laughs> I'm excited to go back to the cafe. All right. Well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Alicia, thank us. you. Thank All you. Right, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Made by DWC is giving you, our listeners, a 20% off their entire site at madebydwc.com. Just use promo code FAIR2022, that is F A I R 2022, at checkout. You can always find more details in their show notes at fairtraila.org slash podcast. Enjoy shopping all their amazing smelling candles and soaps that are also employing women and helping end homelessness here in Los Angeles. I want to thank the creative team behind the Fair Talks podcast, our executive producer, Juliette Bucquerel, our editor, Caden Sullivan, our marketing team, Jasmine French, Elena Alcero, and Lizzie Case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fair Talks podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community and sharing the fair trade message. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fair Trade USA, for making this possible. Now, are you ready to create change? The next time you're out shopping, just pick up one fair trade item to buy, like coffee, chocolate, or bananas, and make a difference. Ask your office, church, business, school, or your family to shop more fair. If you have any questions or want to learn more, head over to fairtradela.org slash podcast for show notes, discount codes, and additional resources. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at FairTradeLA to join our amazing community of fair trade lovers. Tune in to our next Fair Talks conversation to hear more life-changing stories. Thanks for listening.